Good morning, church. Man, what a joy it is to be with you this morning, celebrating our risen Savior together, what power he has in our life. Amen? I mean, he does make all things new, and so we lean into his story because we have so much because of what he has done for us. All the love, the peace, the joy that you're longing for in your life only comes from Jesus Christ. And so we lean into his story because we love what he does to our lives. I want to say a welcome to our guests that are here today. Thank you for joining us, being a part of our assembly. Our hope is that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst. And of course, if you're looking for a church home, and we'd love for you to think about Cross Point as being that place you could call home. To bring your family here to use your gift sets to help us tell the story of hope that is Jesus Christ, not only right here in Grand Prairie, but in the metro and around the world at our different mission points. We'd love to have you along for the ride because great things are happening here at Cross Point. Thanks for being here today. We're starting a brand new series today called Come Empty, and we're going to be in the book of Luke over the next few weeks as we kind of look into the ministry of Jesus Christ and unpack some stories that I hope will have some relevant meaning for you. And I think if we're open, you'll discover that Jesus calls us to a very different lifestyle that will be so much more fulfilling than anything the world has to offer. I do want to reiterate uh, one thing Kale mentioned too. Our Connect Group signups are going on out in the commons right now. And we're talking about relationship. We want everyone to be in relationship together. It's the expectation of our elders here at uh, Cross Point that every single person be in a Connect Group. And there's two reasons why. It's our teaching model, and so it's a great way to dig deep into the Word of God to better discover in a small group setting how we're called to live out the life that God's called us to live. And so we build relationship with God through studying deep study of His Word. But we also develop relationship with one another because we get to know each other a little bit better in that small group setting. It's a great opportunity to meet new people, to make new friends. Uh, And so we encourage everybody to get out to those tables, find a group that works for you, and get signed up this school year to be a part of that uh, really great ministry that will get you deeply involved in the Word of God, but also more closely interactive in each other's lives. We're going to be in the book of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 7, and I hope you've got your Bibles. Uh, The text will not be on screen, and so you'll either need your paper copy or your digital copy. Either way, Luke chapter 7, as we begin to unpack one of those stories from Jesus' ministry. But I did want to start off with some news. It might be some disturbing news. But all moms lie. It's true. Now, I'm getting some feedback visually from some moms in the audience right now. My own mom is here. And um, you guys are wondering where we're going to go with this. You know, when you're a little kid, you just trust mom and dad, don't you? Whatever they say is the gospel truth, and you lean into that, and you just take it with a grain of salt. That's how it's supposed to be. But we've discovered along the way some of those things aren't quite true. For instance, putting hydrogen peroxide on everything that might not be the best way to go. We found some research that actually shows that the peroxide actually kills some of the healthier cells in the area that is being scrubbed down in the moment. Or or when she says don't crack your knuckles because it's going to cause arthritis. Just not true, not true. Maybe you're doing it to relieve stress. I don't know what's going on in your life. I do it, and so I haven't seen any effects from that yet, yet. Or when she says... 
don't swallow your gum, it'll stay in your system for seven years. Not true. Okay, not true. I don't know if you've checked, but not true. There are moments in our life when mom says things that in the moment you think are true. When I was a young boy, my mom told me that she didn't think Tanya Tucker was a really good woman because she wore big hoop earrings. Now, one, I'm glad that my wife doesn't wear big hoop earrings. And if you're wearing hoop earrings today, I'm sorry. There are moments that we lean into the stories mom tells us because in the moment, that's just what we believe. But what if culture and other people around us have told us stories along the way? Stories that are not quite true, but have a lot more impact than cracking your knuckles or swallowing gum. You see, when you look into the story of Jesus Christ in any one of the gospel accounts, what you find is Jesus spends a great deal of time interacting with those around him and trying to debunk stories that people have told God's children for a long time that just aren't true. They've been told stories about their relationship with God that just doesn't seem to pan out. And Jesus is on the scene to kind of correct some of that, to debunk some of those stories. You can read through the text and you can see Jesus says often, you've heard it said, but I say. You know that you've heard this story before from folks who are in your life, authority figures, but I'm telling you that's just not true. There are some things different about God you need to know. And Jesus in his ministry is going to reveal all of that to those that are listening to him and to us today. You see, what we discover are the leaders in Jesus' day were really focused on the outside, following the rules, really important, continually living in a ritualistic lifestyle, important, the way you dress, important. Appearances seemed to be important to the rulers of Jesus' day. Leaders in Jesus' day had created such an atmosphere in temple worship in Jerusalem that most did not feel worthy enough to go worship at the temple. There were some Greeks along the way who made a decision to convert to Judaism. And in the temple court, they actually had a a place where they could go worship, them and them only. And there were literally signs in that courtyard that said, if you go past this line, you will be killed. Have a pleasant worship experience. True story. They created such an atmosphere at the temple that most did not feel very welcome. Most did not feel good enough. Most felt that they didn't dress well enough, as if the way you dress, the length of your prayer shawl or your garment, had anything to do with your spiritual depth and connectivity to God the Creator. Most felt uncomfortable to express how they felt in worship, and so stoic, reserved worship was intact. People in Jesus' day felt like to be connected to God, they, they had to have it all together. Now, I've said in Jesus' day several times, but let's remove that phrase. And doesn't that sound like some folks you've heard today? You've got to have it all together in order to be connected to Jesus Christ. 
You see, some people were made to believe some things in Jesus' day that just were not true. And Jesus showed up on the scene and turned the world on its head. To, to say, you've heard some things about God and your relationship that just aren't true. Let me tell you some truth in this story. Because what Jesus wants between him and us is authentic relationship. He wants us to lean into him as much as he has leaned into us. His desire is for authentic relationship. And church, let me tell you, this morning in this room, no one is perfect. And we'll see in the stories that Jesus has to offer that Jesus wants brokenness. Today, he wants us to be authentic in how we come before him. But you see, in our culture, brokenness is never put into a positive light. It's always a negative thing. We've been deemed a throwaway culture. If something breaks, we throw it away. If something is messed up, we put it aside. We go and buy something new. We throw things away that are messed up. But Jesus says, listen, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple then I'm calling you to look at the world through my eyes, not the list you've created. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, then you're going to have to love the world like I love the world. When Jesus sees broken, he sees beautiful. When Jesus sees messed up, Jesus sees beautiful. Will McDonald, in his book, True Brokenness, states, Usually when something is broken, its value declines or disappears altogether. Broken dishes, broken bottles, broken mirrors are generally scrapped. Even a crack in furniture or a tear in cloth greatly reduces its resale value. But it isn't that way in the spiritual realm. God puts a premium on broken things, especially broken people. God loves you. And it doesn't matter what your life may look like today. He loves you. And that brings us to our story in Luke chapter 6. But before we get to today's story, I need to give you some backstory to lead up to where we are today. You see, in chapter 6, Jesus is out in the countryside and he's preaching that Sermon on the Mount. An incredibly deep theological teaching that people had never heard the like before. People came to know God in a better way through that teaching. And then at the front end of chapter 7, he makes his way back to kind of his home base of operation, Capernaum, which is a city on the Sea of Galilee. And as he enters the city, there are some, some servants who come and approach Jesus as he comes into the city, he and his disciples. They've been sent by a Roman centurion who has already heard how incredibly powerful and authoritative Jesus of Nazareth truly is. And he's got a servant whom he loves very much, but is dying. 
And so he sends his servants to ask Jesus, could you heal my servant? And the Roman centurion says, listen, I'm a man of authority too. If I say soldiers go over here to this place, they go. I don't even need to be present for that to happen. And I know your authority is much the same. You don't even have to come to my house for my servant to be healed. That's how powerful you are. You simply just have to say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus turns to all those who are following him in the moment. And he says, I have never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. The story goes on. The servants go back home. They find the servant well and far away from death. The very next day in chapter 7 still, Jesus and his disciples travel to do some ministry in a village called Nain. And as they approach that village, they notice coming out the city gate, there's an entourage, but it's not a happy entourage. It's a funeral procession, and they're headed to the cemetery. You see, a widow has lost her only son. And if you were with us earlier this year when we went through the series in Ruth, you know what's in store for a widow who has no male around the house, how difficult life is going to become for her. And so there is singing and there is crying. And Jesus stops the procession and he understands with compassion the widow's plight. And in that moment, he raises her son from the dead. And there is great rejoicing. At the very end of that pericope, it says that God was feared even more in Judea. And that the story of Jesus now spread through not only Judea, but the surrounding countryside. Everybody now knows who Jesus of Nazareth is and how powerful he is. Great teaching. Wonderful preaching. Healing the sick. Raising the dead. And that brings us to our story in verse 36. You see, Jesus visits the house in a different town of a religious leader. And it's customary in Jewish culture when there is a visiting rabbi to town, the leading rabbi would have him over to the house for an evening meal. There would be stories exchanged, talking about ministry, direction, how the town's going, etc., And so Simon invites Jesus over to his house for an evening meal, and there's going to be lots of people present, folks that you want to rub elbows with in this town. And so Jesus accepts the invitation, and that night he comes to Simon's house, and he gets to the front door, but just see, Simon's heart really is not in it. It's the right thing to do, to invite Jesus, the visiting rabbi, but he's heard all about Jesus. He's not sure if theologically he, he reset, or is, is in connection with Jesus. And so his heart just isn't in it, although it's the right thing to do. Jesus enters Simon's door, but Simon doesn't greet him with a kiss on the cheek or a kiss on the hand, which would have been appropriate. Simon doesn't leave any water for Jesus to wash his feet as he enters his home. That would have been appropriate. There is no oil placed on Jesus' head, which would have been appropriate. But Jesus enters Simon's house anyway, really not invited, and sits down at the table. And then in verse 37, a woman shows up from town. And this just isn't any woman. It says that she is a sinner, and by all accounts, 
probably one of the town prostitutes. She is taking a chance. She's heard that Jesus Christ is at this house, Jesus from Nazareth. You remember earlier in chapter 7 where it said, all of Judea now knew about Jesus. They knew about his power and his authority, uh, about a new way of teaching, uh, revealing God in ways that they had never heard before. And now she's at Simon's house, a very broken woman who is looking once again to be whole. And things get a little awkward. She realizes this might be her only shot to be whole again, although she's been rejected. And understand, she would never have been invited to this house in a thousand years. Simon looked at this woman as a throwaway. She was not worth one sentence out of his mouth. But Jesus reclines at the table and she enters the home and kneels at the feet of Jesus. And there is a hush and everyone is quiet in the house. But not from Jesus. You see, Jesus has a smile for the woman. His eyes compassionately look her way. His body language invites her in because he knows what's happening in her heart. Surrender, accepting her brokenness, desiring to be whole again. But the way Jesus interacts with her creates a flow of tears. It creates a moment of deep understanding and compassion and her tears hit his dirty feet creating muddy streaks this woman looks around but there is no towel and so she does something very unexpected for Jewish culture she lets her hair down in public and begins to dry Jesus feet with her hair understand church in Jewish culture this is a very intimate gesture Only a husband within the confines of a home would ever see a woman with her hair down. But she doesn't care. She is kneeling at the feet of the Savior. She is reckless and impulsive. And as Jesus watches her, he sees something beautiful. And in the moment to to make things right, Jesus tells a story. And in the story, he ends up rebuking Simon. But then Jesus in the story commends the prostitute who is an absolute broken mess in the moment. And he ends the story by giving that prostitute value and worth. As a matter of fact, at the end of the story in verse 48, he says, your sins, though they are many, have been forgiven. And in verse 50, it's your faith that has saved you. Go in peace. What an awesome God we serve. Simon, he's got his act all together. He is a rule follower. He dresses the part. He lives in a nice house in a nice part of town. He even has Jesus 
in his house, sitting at his table. But who would you rather be in this story? Would you rather be the one who's got it all together or the one who understands and has received forgiveness? Who would you rather be in this story? It is a trick question for us because if you've grown up in church at all, you want both. You want to look like you've got it all together, and we also want the forgiveness of our Savior. We want to be respected and well-dressed and put together, keeping all of our issues under the bed or in the closet. One thing we learn from our story today is if you want to be whole, church, you must be broken. Experiencing grace only comes through brokenness. And church, we are all broken. Every one of us. And there may be some sitting in our audience today who don't think you're very broken, and you are the most broken of all. Simon is thinking that this woman should be embarrassed when in fact Simon is the one who should be embarrassed I mean, who gets corrected in the story? It's Simon. Think about it for a moment. This is the leading rabbi in the city. He, is the, he understands Scripture. Simon, by the age of 12, would have memorized the first five books of what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. By the age of 12, memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He would have memorized the over 300 prophecies that talk about Jesus directly. He would have known all of Scripture inside and out. The very person that Simon had studied about his entire life now sits at his dining room table. That's how broken Simon truly is. He doesn't see what's right in front of him. And the point is not our brokenness. That's a given. It's the brokenness, church, and the pretending that you and I have to come to grips with. And this story is a call for you and I to stop pretending all the pieces fit together. I've used this resource before, Brene Brown. She uh, is a sociologist who has done a lot of talks uh, at, uh, on TED Talk, and you can get those on YouTube. They're about 20 minutes each. But there's one where she talks about the power of vulnerability, and that's what God calls us to in this life, being vulnerable with him, to admit and surrender, to say, I don't have it all together. Brene says, we are those people. That's truth. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair away from being those people, the ones that we don't trust, the ones that we pity, the ones we don't fear or let our kids play with, the one, ones that do bad things that, are, that bad things happen to, the ones We don't want living next door. None of us, church, have it all together. We all need Jesus. As church, we are those 
people who fight in the car on the way to church. We are those people who punch holes in closet doors. We are those people who spend hours on social media trying to convince the world around us that we are perfect. We are those people who late night go to websites that Jesus would never come close to. We are those people who work 50 plus hour weeks trying to gain self-worth in who we are. We are those people who look down the nose at others from a different background, a different nationality, who are a different skin color. Church, we are those people, and we have become the most medicated, indebted, addicted people in human history because we're trying to fix what only God can fix. There is no wholeness except through acknowledging our own brokenness. And church, here is the good news. It is the gospel. Jesus came to make all things new. God makes the broken whole again. It is God who puts us back together. It's not anything that we can do. It's what Jesus Christ has already done for us on the cross that makes us right with God. How does that happen? The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 53 that Jesus was pierced for uh, for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 18 uses an analogy calling us to go back to the potter's house. The potter is the image of God, and we are the clay on the turntable. And God is working us and creating us and repurposing us. Because if you're anything like me, your jar has turned out differently than you had hoped for. It's been chipped and cracked. It's missing a handle. But in the hands of the potter, We can be remade new. And we can pretend everything is okay or we can let the potter fix us. When you came in this morning, hopefully you got a glow stick. Go ahead and get those out. This is a a great image of what God does for us. That glow stick does not work unless you break it. The light in the stick will not shine unless it's broken. Go ahead and do that now. You're going to have to put some muscle into it, I think. You shake it a little bit, it'll start to glow. When you get that on, raise it up above your head. Look around the room, church. You see, this light in the glow stick only works when it's broken. And so we think about in our own lives, can we bring the house lights back up again? In our own life as well, our brokenness shines when we allow Jesus Christ to come inside us and we surrender to him. 
It's only in that moment, in our surrender, in our brokenness, that we come before the throne of God, and through his son, his, his life shines out from us, and we get to light up the world. That's what we're called to be, lights of this world. But we only truly become lights of Jesus Christ when we present in brokenness. And so this morning, church, is a call for each and every one of us to embrace the imperfection, to embrace the brokenness, to realize that our purpose is to let God's story, his son Jesus Christ, shine from within us. And it's only when we give up pretending that we have it all together and we let God's story shine through us, it's only in that moment that we truly find our purpose. And so this morning as we sing this song together, my hope is, and it's a call for each and every one of us to really kneel at the feet of Jesus, to surrender at the feet of Jesus, to say, Jesus, it's not my story, but it's your story that I want to tell. And so through my brokenness, I'm going to embrace you and trust that through my chips and my cracks and my lost handle that your story is going to shine. I'm going to trust your Holy Spirit in this moment. And so today is a moment for us to embrace what God's called us to do and to come empty before him. Our shepherds and their wives will be gathered around this room as we sing this next song. And my hope is that you'll be moved by the Spirit to go find one of our shepherd couples. Let them pray for you. Let them pray over you so that you would be encouraged to move into the story of God and become everything on the potter's wheel that you were created to be. Let's stand and praise his name together.